We're doing a new series today called God's Word on Healing. You sound all really excited about that. <laughs> wow. Do we need to pull out the smelling salts this morning or, or what? Turn to our master text in Acts chapter 3, if you will. And when you find it, go ahead and stand up. And let's honor the reading of God's holy word. All right. Acts chapter 3, the word of the Lord. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was uh, put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But Peter looked straight at him, and as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people uh, saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to begin by saying that uh, in all my years as a pastor, I, I have never dedicated an entire series of teachings on just the subject of divine health. Uh, I've certainly made reference to it more times than I can count, but I've never really dedicated an entire series on just the physical healing part of walking in faith. And I guess the reason for that is because while I've certainly seen results in my own life and also the life of this church where healing is concerned, um, I can't say that it's been as consistent as I would like. Uh, so I do think there's more for us to learn on this topic, uh, both you and me. So because I don't think that I personally mastered this topic, I think I've been a little shy to talk about it because I don't consider myself an expert. But I'm reminded of Kenneth Copeland's testimony of uh, when he began his preaching ministry. You know, he had been obese in his youth, and shortly before beginning his ministry, he had lost a bunch of weight. And because he didn't have the money to buy a new suit for preaching, he just kept having the only suit that he owned taken in so much that he eventually had one big back pocket on his pants rather than two. <laughs> That would have been a funny sight. <clears throat> uh, um, but, you know, even when he was in that financial situation, it was during that time of lack that he began talking about God's will to provide for your needs, even when he wasn't experiencing much of that abundance personally. But he just kept at it, and uh, what he was preaching eventually became a reality in his life. And he has, has some amazing testimonies of God's miraculous provision. So that's the attitude that we're going to take on healing this morning. We're just going to open up the Word of God and see what the Bible says on this subject and let that build up our faith. So we're going to learn together. How would that be? 
I also want to say that we get started this morning that you may need to brace yourself for having your religious tradition challenged this morning um, and maybe having a few of your sacred cows toppled. Now, it won't be my, my goal to go out of my way to offend you, but you just need to realize that when you have your religious ideas challenged, you're going to feel the temptation to be offended. That's typically what our first response is to having your lifelong religious traditions challenged. You're going to feel a temptation to be offended. So let's not be like the Pharisees who uh, wouldn't accept Jesus as their Messiah because of their religious tradition. Rather, let's be like those who uh, can see past their religious tradition and recognize the spirit of truth. So let's say this together. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Amen. I also want to say that this teaching might stir up some negative emotions for those of us who have lost family members, and that represents several of you in this room this morning. You know, if you've lost a loved one to illness, uh, first let me say that my family and I know exactly how you feel. Uh, We have experienced a lot of loss in our family in the last couple of years. We lost Donna's mother, Henry's wife, Wilma, and that was a tremendous blow to our family, and that was a tremendous blow to this church. And then I lost a a sister and a very dear uncle uh, within a few days of one another. And then I lost one of my best friends. Uh, All of that happened in the course of a couple of years. And in all of those cases, um, those were deaths that were because of illnesses that I felt were preventable. You know, I've heard some people say, well, it was just his time to go. And, you know, I don't believe that's always true. Of course, I think it's true many times, but I don't think that's always true. You see, I think that some people go before their time, because either because they don't take care of themselves, or because Satan takes them out through ignorance. You agree with that? Okay. And that's why we're going to be addressing this today. You know, Hosea 4.6 says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. All right, so we're going to try to remedy some of that today and in these uh, teachings that follow. This first teaching in in this series is going to lay some groundwork. So in doing so, we're going to establish the origin of disease so that we can think about this accurately. All right, so the origin of disease. So disease is a result of the fall. You might write this down. Disease is a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. There was no sickness and disease in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. Now, since Satan is the author of sin and disease is an outcome of sin, we can accurately say that Satan is the author of disease. And the Bible says of Jesus that he came to destroy the works of the devil. All the works of the devil. All right? So if a work of the devil is sickness and disease and Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, wouldn't that include sickness and disease? Also, sin didn't change God's heart. Even though man messed it up in the garden, sin didn't change God's heart toward his people. See, God has always been trying to get mankind to cooperate with him so that he could get us back to walking in the blessings 
first established in the Garden of Eden. You know, if you read Hebrews 13.8, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And likewise, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. See, God's desire for mankind has always been to walk in health and abundant provision. That's the heart of a good father. If you want to know what God's heart is toward his people, just look at the Garden of Eden, the description of the Garden of Eden. It was perfect, right? They had everything that they needed. Mankind messed it up, however. But even though sin corrupted the whole thing, folks, listen, that doesn't mean that God's heart toward us has changed. Ever since the fall, God has been trying to to woo mankind back into a covenant relationship with him so that he could lavish the blessings of that covenant upon us. So it would be good for us then to learn how God feels about sickness and also divine healing. On that note, let's read together Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5, a familiar passage. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his deeds. Or another, another version says, all his benefits. He, he who forgives all your iniquities and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving devotion and compassion, who satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. See, that's the heart of God right there. All right, so I'm going to kind of deal with some of these objections to the fact that God is a healer and wants to heal because there are objections out there. For example, uh, what about when God struck people with sickness in the Bible? That's a good question. But note that 100% of the time when God put disease on people, it was always an act of judgment. It was never a, quote, blessing in disguise. Hello. I've got a $100 bill for anyone who can show me in the Bible where God put sickness on someone for their benefit. I'm I'm referring to a a righteous person who God was pleased with, but he just decided to strike them with a disease to teach them a lesson. The closest you can come to someone in the Bible who was struck with an illness when it wasn't an act of judgment was Job. But even in Job's case, folks, um, it wasn't God who put that sickness on him. Who did that to him? Satan did, exactly. It wasn't God. God allowed it, yes, but, but God didn't say to himself, you know, that Job needs to learn a lesson or two, so I think I'm going to strike him with a skin disease to teach him a lesson or two. No, he didn't do that. And then God went on to heal Job's sickness and then restored his fortunes double. Another in, uh, instance that I would like to bring to your attention is that there was a uh, blind man in Jesus' time who was born blind. And Jesus said that this was to glorify God. Now, why was that to glorify God? Was it the blindness that was to glorify God? No. The glory was to come later when Jesus healed the man. Okay? So even in that case, the man's blindness wasn't working some character lesson into the man because God had in mind the whole time to heal him. Now, listen, can God teach you in the midst 
of your sickness? Of course he can. He's God. He can use anything. But I submit to you that we could learn some of those same lessons in the Word of God. See, you know, I can definitely see how sickness can cause people to be more compassionate toward others who are suffering. I get that. I think that's true. But we can't develop our theology around experiences alone, folks. See, the the same lesson of compassion that you may have learned while you were going through that sickness could have been learned just as easily by meditating on certain passages in the Bible that teach the same lesson. See, we don't always have to learn our lessons the hard way. And listen, I'll add that sickness doesn't always result in an improvement in one's spiritual condition anyway. Some people get bitter. Christian people. In Job's case, he got angry and began accusing God of injustice after a time. And it wasn't until God spoke that Job finally recognized his pride and humbled himself and repented. Again, we have to develop our theology around the Word of God, not some experience or what somebody else experienced that you saw. Okay? The Bible has to be our guide. All right? And, and in the Bible, listen, in the Bible, we always see, always see God identifying himself as the healer of disease, not the giver of disease. Praise God. All right. In Exodus 15, 26, I want to read that because I want you to understand that healing was part of the old covenant. I'm going to elaborate on this in a moment. But let's read this. A passage here in Exodus 15, 26. If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and pay attention to his commands and keep all his statutes, then I will not bring on you any of the diseases I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. In fact, in your own study time on this note about um, healing was part of the Old Covenant, you probably ought to go read Deuteronomy chapter 28 and observe the blessings of covenant versus the curses of broken covenant. Very clearly, dysfunction and disease are a result of the fall, yes, but also a breaking covenant with God. And health and healing are the benefits of keeping company with God. Or keeping, keeping, well, keeping company too, but keeping covenant with God. But you see, listen, you can't have what you don't believe in. Because everything in God's kingdom revolves around faith. You can't have what you don't believe in. See, if you think that God puts sickness on people as a, quote, blessing in disguise, then, folks, it's going to be impossible for you to have strong faith for healing. It'll be impossible. You know, people who say that God puts sickness on people as a blessing in disguise, folks, if if I could just get real forthright with you this morning, people who say that don't really even believe that. Because as soon as they start having symptoms, they'll run right to the doctor to try to get better. Well, folks, if it's God's will for you to be sick because he's trying to teach you something, then you should just stay home and avoid the doctor and bear the sickness with patience so that you don't come out from under God's will for you and learn whatever lesson he's trying to teach you. 
right? So do you see how foolish that is to say that you believe one thing, but then you do something totally contrary to what you say you're believing? What's that called? Hypocrisy. That's what that's called. All right, we're getting somewhere. <clears throat> Hopefully. Well, what about suffering then? Let's, let's talk about that. What about suffering? Because some people will point out that suffering is part of the Christian experience. And you know what? That's true. But what kind of suffering is it talking about? Well, if you read 1 Peter, it's talking about persecution, folks. And also, if you keep reading in 1 Peter, it also talks about um, the, uh, the trouble of being unjustly treated by a, a boss on the job and having to endure that. All right? So that, that's the kind of suffering that it's talking about in 1 Peter. And then um, there's other kinds of suffering that are self-inflicted, such as the discipline of fasting. And I hope we're all practicing that discipline. That's a basic expectation of the Christ follower. Okay, And the book of James talks about, quote, sufferings of many kinds, which would involve the normal aggravations of life, uh, the struggle against sinful temptations. That's a way that we suffer sometimes. When your body, your flesh, your emotions want to do one thing, and it's screaming to have this, and you tell it no, and that's going to be a little bit of a suffering process for a time. All right, I taught my family and this church that God's kingdom and the, the world's kingdom are completely diametrically opposite. The, the world says, get it right now, enjoy yourself right now, but then there's hook, a hook in the bait, and, and you're going to suffer the consequences of that later on. God's kingdom says, a sacrifice now, and there's a blessing on the back end of that. Okay? Part of the suffering that the book of James talks about when it says uh, sufferings of many kinds, again, would be the normal aggravations of life, the struggle against sinful temptations, and also, once again, persecution. And look, folks, nowhere in any of those places does it mention sickness. Nowhere. Although that, okay, maybe we could make the case that sickness could be included in, quote, sufferings of many kinds, but read against the backdrop of the rest of Scripture I think we can make a better case that the suffering mentioned in those places isn't suggesting that God is going to make you sick to teach you a lesson. See, we've got to... Look, we can't, we can't take our ideas and insert them into the Bible and create a theology. We've got to look at the Word of God in its entirety and create our theology around that. Praise God. Now, here's a really important point right here. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament law. That's what he said. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it in Matthew 5.17. He came to fulfill it. So that's why healing was a very uh, prominent part of Jesus' ministry. See, if healing is part of the Old Covenant, it stands to reason why Jesus went around healing people everywhere that he went, because he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Okay, And remember, health and healing is part of the blessing of the Old Covenant, as I saw, uh, showed you there in Exodus uh, 15.26. Now, listen, some people, and I've talked to people, that they act like that the Old Covenant is bad or something. Okay, now listen, it's not bad. It, the, the Bible says the, the, the law of the Lord, 
um, Psalm 19:17, the law of the Lord is good and perfect. Okay? But we don't get saved by observing the law. That's true. But again, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. To fulfill it. So then, as new covenant believers, we get all the blessings of the old covenant plus all the blessings of the new. A lot of people think, oh, all that old covenant stuff, all that Old Testament stuff has all passed away. Um, no, it's not. Because, I mean, we don't get saved by observing the law. That's true. That part is, is absolutely true. But again, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. So all those promises made in the old covenant are now part of the new, plus we get all the blessings of the new as well. Praise God. Okay. See, the book of Galatians says, let me give you some proof of that. The book of Galatians says that through Christ, we are now the seed of Abraham, old covenant. We're now the seed of Abraham and an heir according to the promise. What promise? The promise is made in the old covenant, which was a foreshadowing of the new. Praise God, I'm starting to get excited. I don't know about you. So, uh, again, how does God feel about sickness? Well, look at the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 8, verses 2 and 3. Let's read this short account together about the leper. Verse 2. Suddenly a leper came and knelt before him, Jesus, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his, his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, note that Jesus didn't ask the, the, the man, now, how did you behave yesterday? Are you worthy of this healing? No, he said, I am willing. Be clean. Didn't even ask him anything about his life. But the, the man expressed faith when he came to Jesus with the request in the first place. Okay? See, Jesus always did what he saw the Father do, is what he said. So in everything that he did, Jesus was performing the perfect will of the Father. And that's why Jesus went around healing people everywhere he went, because healing was the Father's will. Okay? Listen. Okay, you got to get this point right here. Not once did Jesus ever say to someone who approached him for healing, not once did he ever say, now I'm not going to heal you right now because this sickness is working a bigger purpose in you, so you're just going to have to suffer through this a little longer. He never once said that. But we, we develop these theologies based around man's ideas, and it's not even in the Bible. See, in 100% of the cases where someone came to Jesus seeking healing, he was always willing to heal them. All right, now I want to address something, too, that I've heard as well among some Christians. Um, and ask the question, is healing for today? Okay, we've been reading about... Of Jesus' healing ministry that was 2,000 years ago, but does that mean that healing's for today? All right, let's talk about that. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that there are a number of churches who don't even believe in healing at all these days. They never talk about it. Um, you know, whatever will be, will be, gay, sarah, sarah is kind of their attitude. Okay, they belong to a doctrinal persuasion known as cessationism. Cessationism, which means that they simply believe that miracles and gifts of the Spirit passed away with the, first, uh, with the apostles in the first century. And folks, listen, there is absolutely no scriptural basis for that. None whatsoever. Let's look at the words of Jesus. First of all, I want to point out that Jesus said that the works that he did 
we would do also. We would do also. Let's read it together. John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, whoever means whoever. It means anyone. There's not another deep theological hidden meaning behind that. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Why don't we see that in operation today? Because no one believes it. They don't believe the words of Jesus. They believe what a cessationist pastor told them. They believe the experience of someone else who said, well, now, you know, um, I knew so-and-so who believed that, and they died. I'm not going to base my experience on what happened to somebody else, folks. As a matter of fact, in this church, I just want to give you, just before we continue this train of thought, I just want to insert this really quickly. We had a sweet elderly lady in our church many years ago. She was in her 80s, very frail lady. Her husband had died, gone on to heaven, and she, uh, she and her really good friend were coming to our church. And um, they were here for a long time, and they were faith people. Uh, but then she got a form of cancer, and when she got that diagnosis, she called me privately, and she said, Pastor, I just want you to know about my diagnosis, and I've decided... I don't really want to fight this. I, I want to go home to heaven and see my husband. And you know what? That's okay. That is totally okay. And I did not hold, I mean, I thought, sister, that's wonderful. Um, I, I rejoice with you that you're going to have a home going soon. But then her best friend that she was coming to church with, she just pleaded with her because she loved her so much. She pleaded with her, please believe the Lord for your healing. Please and so she kind of changed her tune a little bit, and she said, okay, Pastor, I'm going to start believing for my healing now. But I don't think it was ever in her heart. Because she did that to appease her friend, but it was never really in her heart. What was in her heart was, I want to go home and be with my husband. And that's eventually what happened. And there's not a thing wrong with that. But look, folks, I'm not going to look at somebody else's experience and say, oh, well, so-and-so was saying that they were believing, and they died you don't know what else was going on behind the scenes with that person. Okay? So let's continue with this train of thought. Um, Jesus even got aggravated when his disciples did not have enough faith to administer healing. Let's go ahead and look at that passage, Luke 9.41. You <laughs> I almost kind of laugh at his, his, how strong he states this. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And the son he was referring to was a young man who was demon-possessed, who uh, was having epileptic seizures and throwing himself into the fire, into the water. The demon was trying to kill him. Okay? And, and this, the, the father pleaded with Jesus Oh, he pleaded with the disciples first, and they couldn't do anything with him. So then Jesus came on the scene, and the man explained that I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And then Jesus said that right there. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Go ahead and bring the boy to here to me. That's God's idea for what we're supposed to be operating in today. But we've had 
all these years of teaching that, oh, you can't, you know, healing passed away, or that was for the apostles, or, or you, you just never know what God's going to do. Uh, you never know what God's will is. Folks, God's will is his word. God's will is his word. Praise God. Hallelujah. So also in this point is healing for today. The disciples finally got it when Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended back to the Father. They finally got it. And then the disciples later functioned in healing after Jesus' ascension. That's why we read that master text. Because that master text showed that they operated in the same kind of signs and wonders that Jesus operated in. All right, then, is there any evidence in history, then, that healing passed away with the first century apostles? Well, none at all. Uh, In fact, it was the church operating in signs and wonders and miracles that eventually led to the conversion of the Roman Empire 300 years later when all the apostles were long dead. And healing has been in operation throughout the world ever since. So... Healing is also, by the way, mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as one of the spiritual gifts. There are certain people that have the, a, a spiritual gift of healing. They, just, they have a special faith for healing. That's one of the spiritual gifts that are still in operation today. Um, as a matter of fact, there are a number of ministers who have had powerful healing ministries in uh, recent times. And there's a few of them right there. Smith Wigglesworth, who was British, who had an, a... Just a crazy, amazing healing ministry. He had 20 documented resurrections to his credit. That's just the resurrections. There was all kinds of other just crazy healings that this man... um, Can I tell you one just totally mind-blowing one? Um, Smith Wigglesworth, he um, prayed for this man who had both legs amputated. And he prayed for the man, and nothing happened right then and there. But he said, um, I want you to go to, to a, uh, a shoe store and buy yourself a set of shoes. The man had no legs. He said, as an act of faith, I want you to go to a, a shoe store and buy yourself a, uh, a set of shoes. So he did. And he bought them, and he went home. Nothing seemed to happen. He went to sleep, and um, he woke up the next morning, and he had legs. Now, that's the kind of stuff that, I and mean, this is all documented stuff. If you, if you um, study Smith Wigglesworth's uh, ministry, you, you see that these crazy, amazing mini, uh, uh, healings were to his credit. Then there's on the, the, the middle there, John G. Lake. Um, John G. Lake was a, a teacher of healing ministry. So he had a team of people that he taught to go out and just administer healing everywhere they went. He was in Seattle, Washington in the early part of the 1900s. And Seattle, Washington at one time was known as the healthiest city in America due largely to John G. Lake's ministry. And he would tell his people, he would tell his practitioners, his his students, he said, when you go pray for somebody, don't dare come back until they're, they're healed. And if they had to stay there two days, that's what they did. And so they would go into floors of hospitals and clean out the floors of hospitals healing people. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Kenneth Hagin. And he had a powerful healing. He experienced, at 16 years of age, he experienced a a healing from a terminal disease when he was 16. Doctors sent him home to die. 
and he gets healed, and then he goes on to, um, to forge a, a powerful ministry and healing ministry. Then there's, of course, Oral Roberts, who uh, had a very powerful healing ministry in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then on the, the lower left there is Catherine Kuhlman, who likewise had a powerful healing ministry. Though That's just to name a few. There's been a lot of people, um, many of which we don't know about because they're in foreign countries. Africa has lots of healing practitioners. I mean, I watched a, a video one time of an African service where someone had a heart attack and died in the service, and they took him upstairs in the upper room and raised him from the dead. I saw that with my own eyes. So, I mean, healing is for today. It's been going on all throughout the world since the time of the apostles. So, no, healing has not passed away. But I will say that even though I haven't seen the consistency that I want to uh, regarding healing yet, I have seen it. And right here in this church, as a matter of fact. So you came too late to tell me that healing passed away. In fact, we got some people sitting right here that have had dramatic healings. Um, you know, Kim Frank, as a matter of fact, got healed, uh, just amazing healing of those frozen shoulders that she had. Those arthritic frozen shoulders got miraculously healed. Uh, there's others of you that have been healed of other things. I'm going to ask you to give your testimonies at some point. Um, I've been healed of things. I've seen just really dramatic healings right here in this congregation. But it hasn't been as consistent as I would like. Um, I'll tell you another one real quick. Uh, years ago, there was a, uh, a young man who, uh, his wife was coming to our church, but he wasn't. He wasn't really serving the Lord, but then he got lung cancer. He got, he got, um, he got diagnosed with stage three lung cancer, confirmed by three different specialists. And then he all of a sudden was very interested in coming to church. And so that's okay, you know, thief on the cross syndrome, it's okay. So we prayed for him, and he went back to the specialist, no cancer. No cancer, totally gone. Uh, I've got other testimonies like that. I'm not going to take the time to give those today. I'll, I'll give you some of those as the series progresses. But we have seen dramatic healings in this congregation, uh, both in my family uh, and likewise in many of your families. So, you, again, you came too late to tell me that healing passed away because I've seen it. I've experienced it. Let, let's talk about then the first principle in experiencing healing. All this is wonderful. This is laying some groundwork. Let's talk about the first uh, principle in experiencing healing. Now, by the way, if you have symptoms in your body that won't leave, the first thing to do is to find some promises in God's word and begin to build your faith in that area. Stand on those promises, confessing them and meditating on them. Now, let's define what faith is here according to the word of God. This will be a familiar passage for some of you, Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 6. Now, faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty, or in other words, confidence, of what we do not see yet. In verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, not passively, earnestly seek him. That's faith. It's the assurance of what we hope for and the confidence or the certainty of what we do not yet see in the physical realm. That's faith. And how is it then that a person develops strong faith? Well, that's the next verse we're going to refer to, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the Word of God. Now, folks, listen. This passage doesn't say that faith comes from having heard one time. It says it comes from actively hearing the Word of God. Present tense, meaning that we need frequent repetition. Frequent repetition. You see, this is how faith was developed for your salvation in the first place. See, you heard the Word... And maybe it required you hearing the word several times before it eventually penetrated your heart and you saw yourself in truth and you finally developed the faith that Jesus is the only way to salvation and that that he is your savior. And then you acted on that faith. That's the process. See, but many people believe that once they take that first step of faith, that that's where faith stops Uh, or so it would seem anyway, Uh, because most Christians approach God like beggars rather than children of the Most High. See, the Bible says that we approach the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence. You see, the step of faith that led to your salvation was just the first step in your life of faith. The Bible says in more than one place that the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Not just faith expressed one time. This is the way that we're supposed to live. This is the way that we're supposed to operate. And that's why Jesus got aggravated with his disciples when they didn't operate in the same kind of faith that they had seen him operate in. So if we're believing for something that didn't happen, or we're believing for something currently that just doesn't seem like it's coming to pass, maybe, could it be that the problem is with us and not God or his word? See, God, like a radio, is always transmitting. We just have to tune into the right frequency. That's it. God is always transmitting. But, you know, if you're wanting to tune into the Christian radio station here, 90.3, and you're on 97.6 or something, you're not going to pick up the bridge radio station. Why? Because you're not on the the right frequency. You're not listening. You're not tuned in. But if you want to get tuned in to God's frequency, that's what we need to do. Tune into God's frequency because he's always transmitting. But a lot of us aren't tuned into God's frequency because we don't even know what the Word says about healing, let alone try to apply faith in that. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're teaching on this. And this is why a lot of times a lot of people abdicate responsibility by developing doctrines that are based upon their own lack of experience rather than the Word of God. Folks, listen, rather than lower the Word of God to match our experience, why don't we elevate our faith to match the Word of God? Praise God. Like I said earlier, now I admit that my experience so far hasn't matched what I see in the Word of God as consistently as I would like. So as Andrew Womack likes to say, I haven't arrived, but at least I've left. You know, I... No, I haven't seen the consistency that I want to see yet, but I'm making progress. I have seen some miracles. 
And, and look, you know, if I don't get it right every time, if I'm jumping for the top rung of the ladder and I miss and I catch the one below it, I'm still six or seven feet above the ground. I'm making progress. You're making progress. Praise God. So, you know, if, if I blow it and I don't see the kind of consistency that I would like, rather than developing some doctrine to excuse myself, maybe I should bear the responsibility and maybe admit that the problem is with me. And boy, we don't like to admit that, do we? We like to develop these little doctrines. Well, God needed another angel in heaven. I understand why people say that, folks. They want to comfort someone who's grieving. I understand that. But come on. Let's develop our theology around the Bible, not some man-made, man-made feel-good type of theology that has no weight in the word of God whatsoever. Now, I realize that sometimes we, that things happen that we don't quite understand. But again, rather than developing these doctrines that have no basis in the word of God, why don't we check our health? Why don't we have a gut check and say, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe, maybe the person that died had a lack of faith. I, I don't know. There's so many other different variables other than, well, God just decided it was their time. And they're 35 years old and have three little kids to take care of and, and a wife to take care of, and God's just going to call them home because it's like, okay, I'm going to... Right? God's a lot more compassionate than that. So, but God responds to faith, you see. And I'm, I'm leading up to a rather poignant scripture on that point here in just a minute that'll smack us all between the eyes and make us go, okay, maybe I am the problem. But we don't like to admit that. Okay, so hold that thought. So again, this passage here in Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by actively hearing the word of God. And you can do that every day of the week by listening to preaching and teaching on this subject to mull over the promises of God's word. Don't allow yourself to meditate on any other possibility other than your complete healing. Kenneth Hagin said... God doesn't propagate doubt and unbelief. Every image suggestion, vision, dream, impression, feeling, and all thoughts that do not contribute to your believing that you have what you have asked for should be completely cast down and eradicated. They should be replaced with God's word. And he's referring to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5 there, which says that that every high thing, every thought, and imagination and a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, we cast down. That's what, that's what he's referring to there. Okay, now, but let me show you the problem with most Christians when it comes to this, with this next passage from the book of James. This is the one I was telling you about that may smack us between the eyes a little bit. Okay, it says this. James 1, verses 6 through 8. But he must ask in faith without doubting because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that man should not expect to receive anything from the lord he's a double-minded man unstable in all he does ouch so we bear a lot of this responsibility don't we that's what that verse says anyway. I'm just going to believe the word of God. 
See, when it, when it comes to healing, folks, there's a lot of people who believe God can, but not necessarily that he will. Am I right? And until we get rid of that doubt and unbelief, we can't have strong faith for healing. And the way to get rid of that doubt is to simply meditate on what the Word of God says about your healing. Folks, let me point out that it's not the person that's praying for you that has to bring all the faith to the table. You have to bring some faith too. Please note, now this will be a shock for some of you. You may not have realized this. In 50% of the cases where Jesus healed a person, he said, your faith has healed you. Not my faith, your faith has healed you, is what he said. It's so important, therefore, that we build our faith in this area, and that's why I'm doing this series, not just for your sake, but also for mine. Now, let me draw to a close here with this and give you one resource that you can be using throughout the week um, to build your faith in this area. And that's, uh, I love Andrew Walmack's ministry, The Gospel Truth. You're looking there at there uh, of an image of my screen on my phone where I pulled up uh, his podcast, uh, which is actually his daily TV broadcast that they, they convert into audio and they put it on this, this podcast. So I just listened to this on my phone. And you can see there that there's 30 teachings that he has there on something called God Wants You Well. So there's no shortage of this information, folks, that you can be listening to and developing your faith in this area. And this is free. And as Keith Moore likes to say, no charge means no excuse. Right? Yeah, no charge means no excuse. And then likewise, uh, Andrew Womack has a book by the same title, if you prefer to read, uh, called God Wants You Well, subtitled, uh, What the Bible Really Says About Walking in Divine Health. So you probably ought to try to get your hands on that at uh, awmi.org is the name of his website. I've got lots of other resources, too, that I'll, I'll mention to you from other ministers um, in another teaching. Uh, also, too, I've made myself a list of healing scriptures. That's about two or three pages worth of just scriptures, nothing but scriptures on healing. So I can just go to that and, and meditate on what the Word of God says about healing. If you'd like to have that, I can email that out to everybody. And, uh, and so, yeah, uh, I'll email that out so you can have that and be looking over those things. Now, I want to say this to folks in closing here. Um, you know... This teaching today may have opened your eyes about some things, but I'm going to tell you, if you've had 40 years of religious, and I don't mean that in the positive sense necessarily, if you had 40 years of religious indoctrination where this subject is concerned, you may not flip a switch just overnight. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Frequent repetition, okay? So we, we need to be renewing our minds in this way. Uh, and so I would really encourage you to, to get some of these materials, read over those, those passages. Uh, some of you may have 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, however old you are and however long you've been in the church, of religious indoctrination that God's going to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, regardless of what you and I do. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. And uh, uh, another teaching I'll probably have to get back into the sovereignty of God and how that's, a, that's completely twisted 
by a lot of people, a lot of people twist what that really means. You know, sovereignty simply means supreme in authority and power and, and knowledge. It, it doesn't mean that God's ordaining every little single thing that happens throughout the earth. God's not ordaining the murder of little babies. God's not ordaining rape and, and, and theft. He's not or, but that's what the end result of that extreme sovereignty of God idea would, would dictate, that we have to believe that God ordains murder and theft and child molestation and abortion and all that. God's not like that. Okay? God's not like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I get a little offended almost. I, I, I get, I, my dander starts to get up a little bit when people say that, no, God is sovereign, so he must have ordained all these years of abortion. Don't insult my father like that. I, I'll get mad. That's my father you're talking about. He's not like that. Okay. Getting up a little soapbox there, but... <laughs> But I would just encourage you, if you've had you know, all these years of that kind of indoctrination, um, you know, well, God just needed another angel in heaven kind of idea. Well, you know, um, you can't always depend on what God, God you never know what God's going to do. God moves in mysterious ways. We don't always know God's will. Well, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we can know the mind of God, that he, he, he allows us to know the mind of God, God's Word is his will. Bill Frank reminded me of that last night when we were talking about that. That's a great, that's a great, it's so easy, so common sense. God's will is his word. Praise God. So I'll email all that to you. If, if I don't have all of your email addresses, make sure that, I think I do. So I'll just send that out. And if you don't see that by midweek, let me know. And uh, I'll try to get that into your hands. So this was just a foundational teaching this morning. Then we're going to get into some other principles of faith and, and healing, what have you, in the, the, um, the, the teachings that follow in this series. So this was just a breaking up some fallow ground, just a foundational teaching, and we'll get into this more as the, uh, the series unfolds. So I hope you got something out of this morning, and I hope you're not too offended at me if I, if I toppled your sacred cow. All right. Yeah, praise God. Stand with me and let's pray. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.